the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. inerrant, infallible word, our holy Bible, stands as an eternal lighthouse in a decaying world. This worldwide independent radio ministry outreach of the Bible stands is dedicated to the proclaiming of the great truths of scripture for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, here is our Bible expositor, Wayne Carver. Welcome to today's broadcast of the independent faith ministry of the Bible Stand. It's our real privilege to come into your home with another message from the Word of God. Today I'd like to begin a study of man's first organized rebellion against God and of the man who led this rebellion. Within the account of the building of the Tower of Babel and the introduction of the man who led this effort, we have contained Satan's master plan of world conquest. This is a plan that's about to be brought to completion in the world today. I call this study Satan's plan of rebellion. Let's read Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 through 12. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Eric, and Akkad, and Calneh, and the land of Shinar. Out of that land he went forth into Assyria, and builded Nineveh and the city Rehoboth, and Calah, and Reason between Nineveh and Calah. The same is a great city. With these words, Scripture introduces us to Nimrod, who was perhaps the greatest apostate this world has ever yet known. It's not exaggeration to say that Nimrod was one of the most historically important men who has ever lived. Nimrod was the very personification of the failure of all men who fall victim to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The things that characterized Nimrod were pride, self-boastfulness, and self-deification. This man shaped the history of this present post-flood world. Nimrod was a grandson of Ham. In Genesis chapter 10 and verse 6, we find that Cush is the first mentioned son of Ham, and we can probably assume that he was Ham's firstborn. And Cush begat Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one, a great hero in the earth. Nimrod was one who attracted men to himself. He was capable of accomplishing great feats of physical prowess. He was apparently not only a large man of great strength, but he was also extremely intelligent. He was everything that the natural man likes to admire. He was mighty in the battle. He was mighty in the hunt. He was a great organizer, and he was a great leader but he was a rebel against God. His very name means rebel. He used all of his great personal assets to turn men from God to himself. He was a hero in the earth, but he was a rebel against the God of heaven. Scripture says of Nimrod, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Actually, the contextual meaning of this phrase is that he was a mighty hunter against the Lord. The ancient rabbis of Israel said it in this way, he was a hunter of the souls of men. Actually, the term hunter is used in contrast to the word shepherd. 
A hunter seeks to destroy the life of the sheep, while a shepherd seeks to protect their lives. Our Lord came as the good shepherd. Nimrod was the Satan-inspired false Christ who came as the mighty hunter. Nimrod was the first Antichrist, and the Antichrist that is yet to come will have many characteristics in common with Nimrod. Nimrod's kingdom was a kingdom set up against God. He wanted to keep all of the people of the world together under his one world leadership to serve his desires and his objectives. The one thing that made possible such a kingdom was the one language of all the people. Nimrod set out to defeat God's purpose, and he attempted to do it by defying God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 25 through 27, we have Noah's prophecy concerning the three major branches of humanity which were to descend from his three sons. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant. So we have revealed in the three sons of Noah the leaning toward Jehovah God on the part of Shem and Japheth, but the leaning away from actually rebellion against God on the part of Ham and his descendants. Therefore, since there was in embryo a worldwide kingdom under godless Nimrod whose character was rebellious against Jehovah, there existed a worldwide moral and spiritual crisis. Nimrod wanted a one-world political, cultural, and religious system that was to be man-centered and man-controlled. Many want this same thing today. In Nimrod's system, all distinctions were to be eliminated. There would be one amalgamated race, one language, a one-world kingdom, one godless aim, and a centralization of godless power. This system, still very much present in the world today, is what God's Word designates as Mystery Babylon. It's the legacy of Ham through his grandson Nimrod. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the legacy of Shem. Japheth has greatly shared in and with Shem in this legacy. Noah's prophecy is the history of this age. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, The people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore the name of it is called Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. In these first nine verses of the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis, 
we find the divinely recorded history of an event of tremendous significance to the shaping of our post-flood world. This event was man's first organized rebellion against his creator. Under the leadership of Nimrod, the mighty hunter of the souls of men, the population of that early post-flood world set out to build a unified world kingdom set against God. Such a kingdom, though against the express command of God, was definitely possible due to the common language of all the people. Satan, acting through Nimrod as leader, set out to defeat God's purpose in the earth. In those early centuries of our post-flood world, mankind was brought into a moral and spiritual crisis. Nimrod and his followers wanted a one-world cultural and political system, just as many want today. In Nimrod's one-world system, all distinctions were to be eliminated. There was to have been one amalgamated race, one language, one world kingdom, one godless aim, and centralization of godless power. This has been Satan's purpose in the world ever since that time. And scripture tells us that Satan will accomplish this purpose during the last seven years of our age. He seems to be about to accomplish it in our day. To fully understand the significance of the building of the Tower of Babel, I think that we need to go back further in history than just to the time of the Tower. We need to cross that great dividing line between the world that then was and the heaven and the earth that are now, which is the great flood in the time of Noah. The study of that mysterious world of the pre-flood race is one of the most interesting and intriguing studies in biblical history. Most of the meager information we have concerning this world is found in Genesis chapters 4 and 5. The genealogies found in those chapters trace the development of the human race through two fundamentally different lines, each headed by Cain and Seth, respectively. Cain's line is referred to as the children of men. Seth's line is referred to as the children of God. The characteristic traits of these two brothers passed on to their descendants. The Cainites were wicked and worldly, like their father. The Sethites called upon the name of Jehovah, and they were the ones who kept the testimony of God alive upon the earth during that period. As time went on and the population continued to multiply upon the earth, these two streams gradually approached each other. The lines of demarcation that separated them were gradually wiped away. The sons of God were influenced by their ungodly neighbors and became more and more like them. This spiritual change first manifested itself when the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and took them wives of all which they chose. This intermarriage and lack of separation accomplished an inevitable result. The children of God were soon brought down to the children of men. With no separation of the godly from the ungodly, soon the whole world was corrupt. God found it necessary to destroy that world with a great flood. The Tower of Babel incident was taking the population of this world in the same way. And in the judgment of Babel, God brought a stop to that early effort. I see that my time is almost gone for today. We'll continue our study of Satan's plan of rebellion on the next broadcast exactly where we leave off today.
Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast of the Independent Faith Ministry of the Bible Stands. It's so good to greet you once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah of Israel and Savior of the world. We're involved in a study of man's first organized rebellion against God and of the continuing influence of this organized rebellion right up to the present. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 11 and let's read verses 1 and 2 of this chapter. And the whole earth was of one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. These words from Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 open the scriptural account of the building of the Tower of Babel, the entire post-flood world population springing from the three sons of Noah was of one speech. Or to use the more literal translation of the original Hebrew, they were of one lip. This means that there was only one language spoken by the entire population of the world up to the building of the Tower of Babel and God's judgment on this act of rebellion resulting in the dividing of the nations mentioned in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 25, nothing had ever transpired to cause more than one language to come into existence. There was no need for more than one tongue and the entire population of the world had sprung from one family which of course meant that all had started out with a common tongue. Now, let me point out that the word translated language in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1 is a Hebrew word which actually means lip. This usage of the word indicates that the lips of all the people of the world were shaped alike in uttering words. This is an idiomatic way of saying that the language was the same. The word translated speech is the Hebrew word deharim, which actually means words. The use of this word indicates that the people of the world had a complete vocabulary. It cannot and does not mean few words as some have tried to teach. There have been those who use this verse to teach the caveman theory of, God, of man's origin by saying that it means that the people of those days had few words. And then they emphasize that it means that the early people of the world were only able to utter a few guttural sounds. This, of course, is an evolutionary concept. It's not a proper interpretation of this scripture. So we are told that there was only one language spoken throughout the world. There was no need for more than one. All the people of the early post-flood world were united in a oneness of thought, feeling, and idea. Thus, a trend away from God could spread quite rapidly. Just consider how quickly the pre-flood world population moved away from God into a state of total wickedness and corruption. God saw that it was necessary to divide the nations so that a small segment of the population could be preserved for his purpose of bringing the Savior into the world. Let's now examine in detail the story of the building of the Tower of Babel. We read in Genesis chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach into heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole world. The natural, unregenerated heart of man, governed by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, always seeks a name, a portion, and a center in the earth. 
The natural man knows nothing of aspirations after heaven or heaven's God or heaven's glory. Man wants to go his own way and find his goals in this lower world, this earth. The Bible indicates that three motives were behind the building of the Tower of Babel. First, it was to be a symbol lifted up in pride, a monument to the accomplishments of man. Secondly, it was to be a focal point, a patriotic rallying point erected in a determined effort to hold the world population in a one-world political system. It was intended as a central control point to secure and maintain world peace apart from the rule of God. Thirdly, it was a symbol of defiance to God and the forces of heaven. God had said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into the heavens, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Under the leadership of Nimrod the rebel, the population of the early post-flood world was ready to organize itself into a one-world empire. The earth was to have had a unified political system and a unified religious system. The political system was under the control of Nimrod. The religious system was directed to his worship. There was no room for God. We're told of Nimrod, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Again, there seem to have been three motives that led to the building of this infamous tower. The Tower of Babel was intended to be a symbol, lifted up in pride to the accomplishments of man. It was to have been a patriotic focal point erected as a determined effort to accomplish Nimrod's objectives, which were to keep all people together under his leadership to serve his desires and it was intended as a symbol of defiance to God and the forces of heaven. The tower was the rallying point for an organized effort to defeat God's purpose in the earth. The judgment of God on this effort of man also appears to have been threefold. Rebellious man was brought down by the omnipotent power of God. The people that had unified themselves for this organized rebellion were scattered and divided. The tower builders were left in shame and confusion. There existed both a kingdom of Babel and a city of Babel. We're told in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 10 that Nimrod was the founder of the kingdom of Babel. Under Nimrod's leadership, it was the desire of the people to build a capital city and in that city to build a tower as a political rallying point and as a center of heathen worship. Archaeologists have identified such cities as ancient city-states, which often were centers of kingdoms. There's no doubt that the city of Babel was the control center of Nimrod's kingdom of Babel. The actual purpose behind the Tower of Babel was to compete with heaven. The tower was not intended to literally reach into heaven as some of us may have been erroneously taught by well-meaning but misled Sunday school teachers. The expression, whose top may reach into heaven, is a Hebrew idiom meaning a very high tower. It was not the intent of the tower builders to build a tower of sufficient height to avoid 
the reach of any future flood either. The purpose of the tower was much more sinister than that. It was a tower erected to the worship of self-deified men who had elevated themselves to the position of mighty ones in the earth. Within the temple area of each of the later Babylonian cities, there stood a tower as a central point. This type of tower was called a ziggurat. Actually, each ziggurat was a heathen temple devoted to vile, debased practices of prostitution in the name of religion. Both priests and priestesses served in the capacity of religious prostitutes in those temples. At the top of each ziggurat was an observatory called a zodiac. Within these zodiacs, pagan priests studied the stars, and by the astrological signs, they prognosticated the future. There's little doubt that the Tower of Babel was to have been the original ziggurat. This was the kind of abomination that the tower builders desired as a one-world center. Genesis chapter 10 and verse 10 tells us that the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was Babel. There's no mention anywhere in the book of Genesis of any end to this rebellious kingdom. In fact, to find the end of Nimrod's kingdom, we have to turn all the way back to the 17th and 18th chapters of the book of Revelation. And that end is still future, even from our standpoint. You see, Nimrod's kingdom never died. It has been retarded. Sometimes in history it's been weakened. But it has never ended. It was very much alive in that scene on the plain of Dura, recorded in Daniel chapter 3, where Nebuchadnezzar, the king, erected an image to be worshipped by all in his empire. It's still with us today. Beloved, has it ever occurred to you that the present structure of the United Nations is an exact duplication of the construction of the Tower of Babel? The United Nations is an effort of the present age toward the establishment of a one-world kingdom, a world kingdom that exalts man, not God. The thought and intent behind the United Nations is, without question, to reverse God's judgment at Babel. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. The world has not yet seen the end of that kingdom, but it appears likely that the world may see the end of it soon as the judgments of the tribulation period are brought to pass. Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. My time is gone for today. We'll conclude this study of Satan's plan of rebellion on the next broadcast. But... glad of this opportunity to come into your home with today's broadcast of the Independent Faith Ministry of the Bible Stands. Today we'll conclude our study of Satan's plan of rebellion. This is a study of the story of the Tower of Babel as it's contained in Genesis chapter 11. It's a study of the motives behind this construction and of the continuing plan for world conquest by the prince of the power of the air that has endured until our day. The world is about to experience the fruition of this plan as the prophesied years of the tribulation period rapidly overtake the people of this present age. Let's read Genesis chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. 
And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. We've been considering the historical account of the building of the city and the Tower of Babel that's recorded in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Let's spend a few moments today in analyzing the nature and the effects of God's judgment on Babel. The division and scattering of the nations was the inevitable result of the confusion of speech. No two people can walk together except they agree. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, God himself asked the question, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And the answer is, of course, no. Agreement requires communication. And without a common language, people cannot communicate. Therefore, God's alteration of the tongues at Babel brought about confusion and disorder. It was impossible to continue the cooperative venture of building a capital city for a one-world empire and a tower for a political rallying point and a center of heathen worship. I think perhaps all of us have heard someone use the expression, he doesn't speak my language. And we know that the speaker means that there exists a difference of opinion or thought or aim between himself and the one spoken of. When the nations gathered at Babel were divided in speech, the result was a division in every other aspect of life. People who speak a common language usually have similar customs, foods, religious practices, and so forth. Consider the gatherings of like-tongued people that we have in the major cities of our own country, Chinatown, Little Italy, Harlem, and so forth. Where there's no common language, then customs, foods, religious practices, cultural traits in general are different. The word Babel actually means to confuse or to mingle. It's derived from a Hebrew word that means confusion. This word is very similar to the Greek word chaos, which means devoid of organization and refers to a state of total confusion. At Babel, Jehovah God wrought confusion among the people by making a babble of their speech. Therefore, they became barbarians to each other. Because they were not able to convey thoughts and plans to each other, confusion reigned. Just as human languages were multiplied by the judgment of God at the Tower of Babel, thus causing confusion and separation, there was, at a much later time in history, a temporary rest restoration of a oneness in hearing and understanding. And that was on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came for his special indwelling ministry into the church of this age. In Acts chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, we read, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue? 
God miraculously multiplied the tongues of men at Babel. But on the day of Pentecost, God again miraculously provided means by which there could be a oneness of hearing so that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ could be heard. This resulted in order out of chaos, and it resulted in the conversion of many of those who heard. The Holy Scripture indicates that this happens when the word of God is spoken clearly and distinctly, and it is accompanied by the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. The United Nations of our day is man's attempt to restore a godless order to the world once again in defiance of God's judgment of Babel. Modern electronics and communications technology is being used to overcome the God-imposed age-old handicap to a system of world government. A godless world government is the goal of this present movement, and according to biblical prophecy, that goal will be achieved. A great world king is going to arise, and the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. Revelation chapter 18, verses 2 and 10 read as follows. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of demons, and the hole of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. The building of the Tower of Babel was the origin, the beginning of the world system that God calls Babylon. The incident of the Tower of Babel was man's attempt to establish a godless social, political, and heathen religious order to the world in defiance of God's express command to spread out and fill the earth. Nimrod was the leader at Babel, and he, energized by Satan, set out to defeat God's purpose in this world. Nimrod wanted a one-world system of government and a one-world system of heathen worship, just as a great many people in the world today want. Nimrod's purpose was defeated by God's judgment at Babel, but the energizing personality behind Nimrod has not lost his sense of direction or his purpose. Ever since the incident at the Tower of Babel, Satan has continued to struggle to establish a one-world, evil, godless system under his own direct control. At several times in the past, God has permitted him to almost succeed. The very nation originally founded by Nimrod did become a world empire under Nebuchadnezzar in 605 B.C. God's chosen people of the southern kingdom of Judah were carried off into captivity by this great world power. But after about 70 years of reign, Babylon's the empire fell to another world power, Medo-Persia. And under this second world power, God's people were allowed to return to their homeland. The Medo-Persian Empire destroyed the imperial power of historical Babylon, but it did not destroy the political, cultural, and religious system that was true Babylon. This system was simply absorbed by the Medes and the Persians. Then, when the Medo-Persian Empire fell to the Greeks under Alexander the Great in 336 B.C., the Babylonian system was again not destroyed, but only absorbed. And also, when Imperial Rome completed her world conquest of the Greek system in about 50 B.C., 
the system was not destroyed. Rome became Babylon under a different name. Imperial Rome was never conquered, but the empire simply crumbled into many smaller nations which were distributed across Europe, Asia, and Northern Africa. But the Babylonian system that was Imperial Rome did not die. It's very much present in the fragments of Rome that have existed over these many centuries since the great empire crumbled. A biblical prophecy ensures us that these fragments are to be once again integrated into a world empire stronger than any such empire that has ever existed to date. And Satan will rule that empire through a great world dictator that one, the, that Revelation, chapter 13, simply designates as the beast. The United Nations of our day is the attempt of the prince of this world to restore a godless order and a godless one-world system of imperial government that is a Babylonian system to this world. The scriptures foretell that this will be accomplished toward the end of this age. There will exist in the last days, just before the second coming of Christ, a world kingdom with one supreme antichrist ruler. All nations of the world will be under his dictatorial power to the extent that there will be no buying or selling without his mark. Just as the organization at the Tower of Babel was to compete against heaven, so will this kingdom. Its ruler will claim to be God, just as Nimrod claimed to be divine, and he will demand to be worshipped. The end-time kingdom will be constructed around the worship of this man, and this state of affairs will be brought into existence by a great religious leader, a false prophet who will rise to power as the head of a one-world religious system that will claim to be a Christian church. Thus, the two aspects of the Babylonian system, the one-world political system and the one-world system of heathen worship, are not dead. They are to play a significant part in end-time events. But Babylon will be crushed by the second coming of Christ. So in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 10, we read of Nimrod, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. The end of his kingdom is found in Revelation chapter 18 and verse 2. Babylon the greatest fallen is fallen. I see that my time is almost gone. I've enjoyed bringing these messages on Satan's plan of rebellion to you. I'll return on our next broadcast to bring you another series of messages from God's holy word. You've been listening to The Bible Stands, an independent faith ministry conducted as a worldwide radio missionary outreach by Bible expositor Wayne Carver. This program is dedicated to the upholding of the doctrines of the full verbal inspiration, the total inerrancy, and the absolute authority of the Holy Bible. The messages presented each day are available on cassette tape to those who support this ministry with their tax-deductible gifts and offerings. The Bible Stands is totally dependent upon the contributions of our radio listeners for its continuance on your station. You are invited to send your gifts and offerings, your request for cassette tapes, and your Bible questions to Wayne Carver in care of the Bible Stands radio broadcast. The Bible Stands is a faith ministry totally dependent upon the financial support of God's people for its continuing outreach. The program is sponsored by the Bible Stands radio broadcast, 6510 Spring Rose, San Antonio, Texas, 78249.